Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by the FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm your host, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. You know what that means. UFC betting preview or breaking down UFC Vegas 73. It goes down this weekend from the UFC Apex Center in Las Vegas. Looking at our favorite underdog plays, props, and more. Finishing up with favorite bets, best bets, final bets, whatever we decide to call them at some point down the road. We start with the main event in Vegas. We've got Mackenzie Dern, the favorite, opposing Angela Hill. Zerillo, looking at the matchup here, uh, Dern presents some jujitsu background, and then you've got Hill, who has a defensive uh, approach. When you look at the the odds and the money line numbers, and then uh, examining just how you think the fight will go, how do you want to bet this one? Yeah, I think Billy and I have a pretty similar approach in terms of how we read this fight. I think the difficult most difficult part is deciding which side I want to be on. Uh, very binary in terms of Hill being the better minute winner, Dern being the better finisher, more finishing upside. And I heard somebody say this week, I think it's a brilliant line, so I'm just going to steal it, but Dern is not fighting Angela Hill. She's fighting the clock. She has 25 minutes to get a submission, and she probably needs to get a takedown in the first half of a round in order to get to the position she needs to get that submission. Uh, Angela Hill doesn't have the best takedown defense, but Mackenzie Dern is not a good wrestler. So there's probably going to be maybe one takedown where she's able to do something with it, or maybe she's able to get in the clinch, uh, take Hill's back, backpacker, standing backpack up against the cage, something like that. So I do expect Hill over the course of 25 minutes to land more strikes, win more minutes, but it's possible that Dern has two rounds where she completely dominates and is able to get a 1080 out of it. Uh, we could see some wonky judging here. Maybe Hill lands more strikes in a round, but Dern gets the takedown in the second half of the round and threatens the submission. And then the judges have to wait Hill's volume against Dern's submission attempt. Or Dern might just have these dominant rounds where she has top position for four minutes and is threatening submissions. And one judge gives her a 10-8, but one does not. Uh, that's what happened in her fight with Jean Jean-Anne, where I believe she lost the split and, most people thought she should have won. So could be some wonky judging here. Billy's going to get into more why he's playing a prop because of that wonky judging. But yeah, I, I think our read on it is very similar. I just frankly don't know where I'm going to land in terms of Hill money line plus 150, decision plus 210, or Dern inside the distance at plus 150. I think all three are viable bets. I just frankly don't know where I want to sweat it. Do I want to sweat Hill like surviving for 25 minutes? And if she does, she's probably going to see her hand raised or... Do I want the probability that Dern probably has two significant opportunities to finish this fight with either, you know, ground control and threatening a submission or getting Hills back? So, yeah, I, I really don't see it playing out much differently. I just am having a difficult time figuring out specifically what I want to bet, but I'll have a write-up up on ActionNetwork.com. By the time I publish, I will have made a decision. And speaking of, Billy Ward has his luck ratings posted for UFC Vegas 73. Had those up a couple days ago. So, Billy... On the subject of Duren Hill, uh, there is an angle on Hill that you find has some potential value. 
Yeah, and it, it's really the same thing that Zerlo laid out. The one thing he didn't bring up, which I think might be a big factor, is it wouldn't shock me at all if Dern pulls guard if she's unable to get a takedown. Yeah. And she's going to be the more active fighter even from underneath Angela Hill. If, if Angela Hill's in her close guard, Dern's going to be doing more stuff, threatening submissions. But that doesn't mean the judges are going to give it to Dern. Frequently we see if you're on top, you kind of automatically win. Hill is almost certainly going to win the stand-up um, portions of this fight. She has the Muay Thai background. Dern doesn't really want to strike. She almost strikes like Hoist Gracie with like the little front kick just to try to initiate the grappling. You know, real old school style. So I think Hill's going to win the stand-up portion. And as Sean pointed out, you know, is Dern going to be able to get the takedowns or not? We're not sure. Even if she does get the takedown, if she gets it late and doesn't get the submission, the judges probably are going to give that to Angela Hill if she does more of the striking earlier in the rounds. We have seen judges with some late round bias, which concerns me a little bit. You know, kind of whoever wins the last minute, even if they lost earlier, sometimes gets some judging. But, you know, Hill by decision is my like, quote unquote, official play here at plus 210 like that. But on a props god style bet, I'm going Angela Hill by split or majority decision. That's as high as plus 800. It's really tough to judge these jujitsu fighters who fight off their back. All, you know, all it takes is one judge that thinks Mackenzie Dern has been the more active fighter from her back. We've got a split, possibly a majority with the 10-8 angles that Zerlo pointed out. And then if you wanted to hedge it, Dern inside the distance at plus 150. She almost certainly needs a stoppage to win here. I don't see... Uh, Mackenzie Dern winning a decision. So I'll probably have a little sprinkle on the latter two of those bets, but my main play is Hill by decision. I wish this one had remained on the Charlotte card with all the crazy judging we'd saw, saw there because this would have been guaranteed splitter majority decision for someone if it was still there. Vegas judges tend to do a little bit better job, but this one is probably you know rightfully a splitter majority decision where neither of us feel really confident about who's the winner. When we discussed the Charlotte card last week, you both felt that it was a good card for underdogs. And I think we might have a similar theme to this week's card, but we go to underdogs now. Our, our favorite dog for the weekend, Sean Zarillo. Yeah, Emily Ducote. Um, she's getting Lupe Godinez, who is taking another short notice fight. And we've seen with Lupe in the past taking these short notice fights. Maybe doesn't have the energy level as she typically does off of a full camp. Hasn't made the improvements that she would have made after a full camp. She said in past fights, she was done taking short notice fights. Don't know why she took this one on 10 days notice. And when Loopy wrestles or when Loopy has success wrestling, she wins her fights. But she's not always reliable to wrestle, which is a bit odd. And in this fight, particularly against Emily Ducote, who has a college wrestling background, who may in fact be the better wrestler. I'm not sure if that's the case, but I think the wrestling is closer than the striking. Ducote's the better kickboxer. She's a two-inch reach advantage. Frankly, I don't see why she's the underdog. I think she was coming in off of a full camp while Loopy is the one jumping in here on short notice. But regardless, uh, the stylistic matchups, I would actually make Ducote the favorite. So Emily Ducote at plus 120. Uh, and then maybe Ducote by decision, but probably just play the money one. Billy, underdog that you like for the weekend. Yeah, this is another one from my luck ratings. Edmund Shabazian. Still like the line now. You know, if you read that article on Tuesday, he was north of plus 200. Still plus 176 for his fight against Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. It's just an interesting fight. You know, I, I never like Hernandez as a heavy favorite. He's just such a volatile fighter, does weird stuff, wins when he shouldn't, loses when he shouldn't. But I think Shabazian is a little bit undersold here. He was kind of a top prospect when he came in, super young when he made his debut. And then he fought three guys in a row who were all current ranked middleweights. He lost all of those, but he was 23 or 22 for all those fights. So I really don't want to hold that against him. 
he looked a lot better in his most recent fight. I think Hernandez is a bit of a step down relative to the guys he's lost to. And he's still just 25. You know, this is kind of a recurring theme for some of my picks this week. But some of these younger fighters, it's not so much handicapping what they have done, but trying to progress, you know, figure out how much they've progressed. I think he still has a lot more room for progression than Hernandez. Hernandez is 29, but been a pro fighter a little bit longer. I think we've seen the best out of him. I think Hernandez should be the favorite here, but not nearly at, you know, two to one odds or wherever he's at right now. So I think Shabazian starts to live back up to the hype that he had coming into the UFC career now that he's filling out, rounding out his game a little bit better. So I'll, I'll still take it at plus 175. Billy and Sean's fight of the night is the first fight on the main card on Saturday. Diego Ferreira and Michael Johnson. Johnson's the dog at plus 132 at FanDuel. Ferreira at minus 162. Zerillo, are we aiming towards the dog in this one? Yeah, that's where I lean. I think Billy is a pretty more or is a more definitive stance on this one than I do. But both of these guys have faced very high level competition in the past. Johnson, Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis, uh, or I should say CDF has faced Dustin Poirier, Anthony Pettis. I believe Johnson has been in there with Khabib, uh, like best of the best lightweights in the world these guys have faced. So really high level matchup when both were in their prime. Now they're both in their late 30s. Maybe not necessarily as high level of a fight as we would have gotten a couple of years ago. Carlos Diego Ferrer also coming in off of about an 18-month layoff, so not really sure what you're going to get out of him. Is he going to regress, especially off of three straight losses, and he was finished in his last two. So who knows where the motivation is. I also heard that he left his camp. He's no longer with Fortis MMA and is out training on his own. That's not an encouraging sign either, particularly at his age. Uh, but Michael Johnson has been in there more recently, has looked pretty sharp in those fights too. I would expect him to have the striking advantage here. Just needs to avoid the takedowns. He does get taken down fairly easily throughout his UFC career. And he needs to get avoid getting his back taken. But at plus money, I think he is a pretty definitive edge in one of the areas of MMA, which would be the striking. Uh, and then I think he can stay reasonably safe in terms of his wrestling to avoid the dangerous spots that Carlos Diego Ferreira can get to. Plus, down the stretch, given the age, the fact that he's been in there more recently and their general cardio relative to one another... I think Johnson probably wins the third round at a higher clip too. So that leads more equity and towards him winning minutes. I think the finishing upside, probably about the same on each side. So uh, grappling upside, Diego Ferreira, but minute winning, probably Johnson. So uh, as an underdog side, he's where I lean. Billy, I didn't see Johnson, Ferreira, in your luck ratings right up. Is Johnson at priced about right or any chance undervalued? What do you think? Yeah, it wasn't one I looked at just because I didn't have a ton on uh, Fajeda when we were looking at that. But, you know, I'm not really analyzing this one from a stylistic or technical matchup the way Sean is. But so much it's just, again, I've talked about it or talked about it in the last fight, but just the age and the career progression. It feels like Michael Johnson's been in the UFC for like 20 years. Like, I can't remember ever watching the UFC without him, but he's actually the younger fighter in this matchup. He's both younger and he's been more active lately. He's won two out of his last three. The only loss was a split decision that he probably should have won against Jamie Malarkey. So, you know, that could have been included in the luck ratings. But Diego Fajeda is 38. It's been more than 18 months since he had a fight. And it's been more than three years since he's won a fight. So I don't really understand how a guy coming off that kind of layoff at his age. And, you know, we haven't seen him win a fight since before the pandemic. And now all of a sudden he's favored against a guy who's won two out of three. That just doesn't make sense. It, it almost feels like the market is assuming that Michael Johnson is washed, but Diego Fajeda is still closer to his prime. And I think, if anything, the opposite is the case. So plus money, more than enough for me. I'd make it about a pick him. 
Johnson UFC debut in 2010, the Ultimate Fighter 12 finale, which is wild. Uh, and this is his 28th UFC fight. Yeah. Hey, this is Action Network audio director Matt Mitchell inviting you to head into the sports betting summer with new gear that's built to last. And our folks at Shady Rays, friends of the podcast, they have you covered from the sun to the slopes to out at sea with their premium polarized shades. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company offering world-class products just as good as any expensive pair you've ever worn. And like our betting podcasts, their sunglasses offer the clearest possible optics. Shady Rays also offers the most bananas protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of their sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So what does that mean? Here's what they told me. It means if you lose or break your pair, even a minute after they arrive, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Plus, if you don't love them, just exchange them for a new pair or even return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. Basically the opposite of betting on the Oakland A's. So exclusively for our podcast listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code ACTION for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Props. Where are we looking, Zerlo, for UFC Vegas 73? Yeah, I'm going back to a fight that Billy just talked about, Edmund Shabazian. So the one failure that we've seen with Shabazian throughout his career, he's extremely talented, but that cardio does not hold up. And in this matchup in particular with Anthony Hernandez, who might have the best cardio of any fighter in the UFC, I mean, it's really up there in terms of how good Fluffy's cardio is. I think the second and third rounds of this fight could be absolute hell for Shabazian. First round, Shabazian should probably win. He might even finish the fight. We've seen Hernandez put out early in the past, and Shabazian's very dangerous. But the longer this fight goes, I do think uh, Hernandez is just going to completely drown him with pace. And as we've seen in the past, Shabazian, once he gets tired, once it starts going poorly for him, he does kind of quit. So uh, Fluffy Hernandez, round two plus 500, plus 550, round three, plus 800, plus 850. I'd also look to bet him live after round one. Agree with Billy, Shabazi in the pre-fight side, not going to have anything on Hernandez pre-fight other than small stabs on those round props. But after round one, I'd probably look to jump in on Hernandez. Billy, where are we looking for props this weekend? Yeah, real quick to Sean's point, that has totally convinced me I need to hedge off uh, Shabazi after round one if he doesn't finish it. That's Those are good points. The only reason I kind of hesitated on giving out a live bet is this is a pretty lower level UFC card. So I'm not sure how many people are actually going to be watching it and betting it live, present company included. So there's a little, little hesitant to give out live anything this week. But as far as my prop, I'm looking at Chase Hooper inside the distance at plus 200. I, I like him as an underdog side, much like with Shabazian, very hype prospect, came in super young. Still, I think he's 23 right now. But he's 3-3 three and three in the UFC. All three of his wins were inside the distance. Nine of his 11 pro wins have been inside the distance. It's pretty clear that he's not a great minute winner. He needs to finish fights. I like his ability to do so now coming up to 155, though. You know, he was so tall and so skinny as a uh, 45-er, especially at his age. You know, does that give him a little bit more muscle? Is he able to fill out a little bit? I think all those things help his finishing ability. I also really like the matchup for him. He's fighting Nick Fiore. Fiore was 6-0 and against, like, super low-level competition. 
Got a short notice UFC fight. Kind of got dominated in it. No shame in that. But it's one of those that he might be UFC level, but we really don't know that. We have no evidence that he can beat top competition. Whereas Hooper, we've seen him beat three other UFC fighters, and he's probably still getting significantly better at just 23, going up to a weight class that at six foot one should serve him a little bit better. And his striking came a long way. We've seen him strike a lot better in his last couple of fights. So that's why I'm going inside the distance instead of submission, even though he's more known as a submission guy. I just want to comment on this fight very quickly because this is a this is an angle that we see a lot of the time where Fiore debuted, as Billy mentioned, on short notice as a big underdog against Mateus Rebecki. He actually kind of outfought his price tag. Most people thought he would get finished in that fight. But because he debuted as such a big underdog, and actually competed well against the prospect people are high on, the fact that he did well in a loss got him to a favorite in this fight. And this is something we see all the time, who these debutants who sort of outfight their odds get a lot of respect for their next fight, even though they didn't win. And a lot of time we see them lose. So yeah, I, I actually agree with Billy where I think the market may be overreacting to Fiori or maybe overreacting to Chase Hooper moving up from 145 to 155. My initial reaction was, Oof, maybe not a good look for Chase moving up in weight when he already wasn't the most physically strong guy at 145. But as Billy said, it might actually help him to add muscle, finally fill out his frame, be able to put things on his frame that he otherwise, you know, wasn't adding previously. So interested to see how this transition of 155 goes for Chase. Yeah, and with with younger fighters like that, like, you know, you guys know, probably most of our audience, you tend to fill out a little bit in your early to mid-20s. I think because he's been trying to cut the weight so frequently and make 145, that's probably hurt his strength more. And getting a little bit of time off, getting to hit the weight room and just eat like a normal person for a little bit to come up to 155, I think he's going to be significantly better as a lightweight. I generally prefer fighters coming up in weight just because it makes you so much healthier and so much easier rather than going down in weight. Other than, you know, the Kevin Hollands or whatever of the world who clearly were fighting one weight class too heavy. Gilbert Burns used to be a lightweight so much better at Walter White. Exactly. I won't speak for both of you, but I had no problem filling out weight in my 20s. (laughs) (laughs) I went from 155 to 170 in my fight career in my early 20s. I just couldn't make 55 anymore. You get some of that man strength. And I think that's going to help Chase Hooper a lot rather than just being a string bean at 145. I've gone from middleweight to light heavyweight over the course of the pandemic. So we, we all uh, fill out over the course of our careers. That was nice of Billy to uh, make that very relatable to the audience and to his fellow co-hosts. Uh, and our, our David, our audio producer, has weighed in in our uh, our side chat. So see, everyone everyone feels connected to Billy's comment there. Um, <laughs> let's wrap with, uh, we haven't talked a ton of the prelim car, but you guys do have a bet uh, from the prelims, one each to wrap us up. So we'll go Sean first and Billy. Yeah, I didn't want to go head to head on our best bets, but I was actually leaning towards going against him uh, in his fight till I saw what he had picked. So just know we're on opposite sides of that matchup. I'm curious, though, where Billy landed on my fight that I picked, which is Vyacheslav Borshev going against uh, Mahashat, who has very interesting style. I'm actually not sure what Mahashat is good at. Uh, he has power. He's durable. But I don't know if there's any sort of competent game plan that he has. Both of these guys are going to struggle against wrestlers who can take them down. We should get a striker versus striker matchup here. But actually, stylistically, or the way the skill level of the striking matches up almost reminds me of the Carlos Oberg versus Ihor Pateria fight from last week, where, sure, Pateria is going to get, or Mahashata is going to get this type type of fight that they want on the feet, striking it out. 
But there is such a technical discrepancy in the level of striking here, the level of footwork, the level of fight IQ and shot selection. I think Borshev absolutely destroys him and carves him up on the feet. This guy's a former professional, high-level kickboxer, master of sport from Russia, the striking coach for Team Alpha Male. When Borshev is able to just strike and let his hands go, he is unbelievably impressive. I mean, one of like the best technical strikers in the UFC. Professional boxing career, knockouts there. Professional kickboxing career, knockouts there. Maha Shot still very limited MMA experience. But if these two are just going to strike it out, if Maha Shot is not going to try to take him down and just let Borshev get comfortable on the feet, I think Borshev puts him away and fairly quickly. So Vyacheslav Borshev minus 150, I think he's the better minute winner. I think he's more likely to finish the fight. I just think Maha Shot has more power. You need to wrestle him to beat him and Maha Shot probably not going to do that successfully. Billy, would you like to touch on the fight that Zerillo nearly went against you on? Well, I'm going to touch on the one that he actually gave out first. I, I think Sean's right, and that's the side. I don't love the price just because of kind of how similar these two have actually been in terms of performance. But on paper, yeah, Slava Claw is way better skilled. I just I always worry a little bit that that skill with the big gloves and the kickboxing doesn't always translate the way we'd like it to for MMA. In a small cage, too. Right. Like there, there's just other factors. It frequently does. And I think that's the right side. It was just a little bit juicier than I wanted. But in yeah, terms of or if Borshev had more room in a big cage to use his footwork, I'd be like insanely confident in him here to stay safe. But the smaller cage helps Mahashat a little bit. And Mahashat, like I pointed out with Hooper, 23 years old, maybe he's added some grappling. Maybe he's added some. We just kind of don't know with these younger guys who aren't fully formed. But yeah, you know, if it was a pick him, I'd definitely be on Sean's side even, you know, slightly better odds. But yeah, in terms of the one that we're on the opposite sides of, I'm looking at Vanessa Demopoulos at slight plus money. And it's another like age slash progression play. She's not a ton younger than Karolina Kovalkiewicz, but she is much, much newer to the sport. I think she's only been a pro since like 2017 or something. And Demopoulos lost her UFC debut and has won three in a row, looking better and better each one. Karolina Kovalkiewicz, she's won two straight, but they were against fighters even older than her. Both, I would argue, kind of washed fighters that she fought. Before that, she had dropped five in a row. So Cole Kavich kind of seems like a fighter who, when she's fighting in the you know unofficial master's division against other older fighters, can do okay, but really just hasn't done well against younger up-and-coming fighters. I don't love the skill set from Demopolis, but at a certain point, if fighters just don't have it anymore, it doesn't really come down to the technical breakdown as much as Demopoulos is going to be fighting a little bit harder, should be the better athlete at this point in their career. And again, very new in the sport, could have progressed even more since we've seen her. All right, gents, good work. Maybe we I think we're all in our 30s now at this point. We can all uh, fill out some more uh, this weekend, sweating out our bets. Or maybe the sweat will help not f- fill ourselves out more. For Billy Ward, Sean Zarillo, Brendan Glasheen, that's your UFC Vegas 273 betting preview here on the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Find these guys in the Action Network app if they add anything else for Saturday. Best of luck with your bets. Enjoy the picks, and we'll see you next week on the Action Network podcast. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.